Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, everybody, last we left off with you, if you are listening to these in order, we were with Greg over at the Fur Harvesters Auction, Inc., which is fairly local to us and really unique. So, uh, really, if you're curious about what goes on after you shoot a coyote, hopefully, if you're uh, if you're out there and you and you get lucky enough to see one and call one in. I mean, we're going to talk about our experience out there in the field, but uh, that was a great podcast hearing about what happens after the fact. So, um, but if you listen to that and now you're wondering, hey, what happened with these guys when they went on their hunt? Well, you got Jimmy here, Mark to my left, and across the table for the first time on our podcast is Coop, the man behind the video camera when you watch the video stuff with our pod ventures. So, uh, Coop, introduce yourself real fast. Uh, Cooper Long, I uh, get the privilege to uh, follow these guys around on the pod ventures. Love hunting, love being outside, so getting to chase these guys around, uh, no complaints. That's right. Yeah, Opened I... up with a lie, Jim. What's that now? <laughs> he, he opened up with a lie. Ah, I get the privilege of following these guys <laughs> well, around. You know. I know that. <laughs> Coop. Cooper is uh, quite the trooper, and actually that rhymes, So, um, but... He was the guy who was smushed into the back of the Subaru all the way out to Wyoming, but you didn't end up getting to shoot an antelope at least. I did, so and it was awesome. Is that. Um, so yeah, sometimes Cooper even actually gets to step in front of the camera and uh, and pull the trigger. So, um, all right. Now, guys, we went to Nebraska. Obviously, there's coyotes around here in Wisconsin, but for whatever reason, we said, nope, nope. We don't want to shoot these ones right now. We want to go <laughs> however far away it was, a 10-hour drive or something like that, into the, uh, well, everywhere, admittedly, this last week um, when we were out hunting at the at the time of the recording of the videos. Everywhere was below zero, it seemed. Even if you were in Costa Rica, I swear it was below zero that week. Um, but, uh, yes, very, very cold temperatures, we were in some unknown territory to us. Obviously, you do some map scouting, and you try and get the best idea of what's going on. We got access to some private land, which is pretty sweet. Um, but, yeah, we hoofed it, and it was a pretty dang good experience. So we're going to tell you guys about that, maybe what uh, what we found to work, what didn't work, some of just kind of what all goes into it, I'd say. Did you say that's about right, Marco? Yeah, I'd say uh, that's spot on, Jim. And and one thing about this, like I said, we drove cross country. We drove through a, a snowstorm. Uh, apparently, um, driving through Iowa, I, I don't think we've ever drone th- dr- driven through Iowa without like seeing just either being in inclement weather, like we always have been. Yes. Also, we've been fortunate though to be on the back end of it, or at least the brunt of it, because I've never seen more vehicles off the road ever in my life than like the four times I've driven through Iowa. It is a wasteland. I don't know what happens yeah. there. It's the Bermuda Triangle of vehicles going off the road. Trucks. It is. I mean, four wheel drives, regular cars, semis. It's upside down sometimes. Upside down. Off. Coop. I mean, I hope everybody's okay. Semis crossing the median. Coop used to live in Iowa. I did. Is this just a regular occurrence here? I, I mean, feel like it seems to be a winter thing for sure. I mean, I spent uh, about a year and a half in southern Iowa or whatever, so I did get to experience that, especially on my trips home. And every snowstorm, it seems to be like 100 semis, cars in the ditch, rolled over. It's like you said, I don't know if it's a natural phenomena that occurs there, but it's definitely a part of Iowa. Maybe somebody, like. maybe some of our listeners from Iowa can can attest to this, can explain what it is that's going on 
when these winter storms happen. Because when you drive around around here and, and other places I've been to, usually you see a car here and there. But there's something about Iowa. It's it, it looks like a used car lot on the side of the road. Man, it is crazy. It makes a person worry as they travel along. But yeah, like like we're talking about, um, did it make, to the untrained eye, does it make sense to drive a touch over 10 hours to go chase coyotes that you could maybe drive 10 minutes and chase at home. And I say, Jim, sometimes things don't have to make sense. It just has to sound fun. Yeah. It sounded more fun. Yeah, for whatever reason it did. And it was quite fun. So um, we went out there just with the intention of trying to shoot even just one. Mm-hmm. We weren't trying to stack them up or anything like that. Obviously, the the more the merrier. Um, but yeah, we went out with the intention of shooting just one. I had, in, in terms of gear that we were taking with us, the nice thing about coyote hunting is that you don't have to have, like, well, when you're coyote hunting in that weather, we did have a lot of gear. I mean, mostly the oh, yeah. clothing, tons of layers, stuff like that. Um, but you basically go out with, the pack wasn't loaded up with a ton of stuff. We had I had a pack with some basic super emergency cold weather stuff in it. And then you got your rifle. And, uh, you know, I got to use an AR that I'd built a long time ago. I was really excited to finally go hunting with this AR as an 18-inch. Mark, you were using the old, one of our uh, sort of PRS-built guns. You were using the one I built, actually. Yep. It's a little bit lighter than yours. Yep. Still not light by any means. No, no. And then, uh, <laughs> of course, like last minute, I don't know, dude. I mean, classic, right? Well, I, I was going to use a different rifle. Right. That actually would have been really, really, not that yours wasn't nice to use, but it was a little heavy, a little clunky. And then we didn't have, we thought we had a sling that worked with it, and then we ended up not having a Did. sling that worked with it. So that was, that was, you know, not the most fun thing to lug around. But you know what? It wasn't the end of the world either. But the original rifle, yeah, we just had some issues with it and couldn't quite sort it out, so I had to plan B it at the last second, and luckily we had an accurate rifle that could have worked if needed. That's right. Now let's talk about the country that we were in, because Nebraska can look a number of different ways. It's actually a little bit more, I would say, diverse than people often give it credit for. People who are driving through it usually Absolutely. give it credit for. Um, the area that we were in was more western, like like the western side of the central side of a part of... Yeah, I'd say like north-central-ish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, west, west-north-central, kind of in there. We're in, the, in a lot of that Sand Hills country. Yeah. And the first day, we went to a spot that was very hilly, very much broken country. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on the second day, we were in some much more open country. It still was rolling, but it was a lot more open. We could see much, much further. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously, one thing, too, that we've mentioned now a couple times is how cold it was. And, I, it, like, let's talk about things that people will wonder, like, can you hunt a coyote in, for example, really hilly, really broken country, or do you need more open country? Can you hunt a coyote, and can you see anything when it's below 20 degrees Fahrenheit? Or, you know, we were even looking up some stuff out there where people were saying, basically, if it's below 20 degrees Fahrenheit, give up, don't even go. Um, what what what, do you, what would you say there, Mark? I don't know, man, because that was one of my concerns. I'm like, man, are these things going to be so cold that even if they hear that distress call, they might be cold and hungry, but they also, you know, something is eating whatever's, you know, got that, you know, quotation mark dying rabbit, right? Yeah. You know, so are they going to get in a fight? You know, are, are they doing a cost-benefit analysis? Like, yeah, I'm, now I'm going to run a mile. Now I might get into a fight. Now I might not even, by the time I get there, this thing might be gone. Yeah, I'm going to stay tucked into this hillside and just, you know, wait, wait this cold weather out until I can be a little bit more comfortable. So, and also, I guess my thought with that, too, is a lot of the, and this is just totally anecdotal, 
right? Like personal experience. But a lot of the high coyote activity, at least visually that I've seen when they're just like out and about, is kind of on the back on the back end of a storm where it's been super stormy, super cold. Mm. They've been laid up and then there's finally that break and they're like, hooray, let's go catch mice. Um, so I was a little concerned about it. So I was doing a lot of reading on that. And I mean, like you said, Jim, I mean, it can be pretty darn cold. They're still going to respond to the calls. They're still going to be active. They're still going to be doing their thing uh, as we as we witnessed while we're out there finally. That's so. right. That's right. We didn't see many on day one. We were in the really broken stuff, though. Zero. Um, we, we saw, saw yeah, we, a total of zero. Exactly. Zero. Um, and that, it's hard to say why, you know? Because when, I mean, we're going around and like, Speak to the strategy a bit of our sets, right? Because when you're when you're coyote hunting for anybody who's, who's really just never done it before, it's not like, oh, I guess you know every every different style of hunting has its own unique way of going about it. But you know, you, you find a spot that you feel like there would be coyotes around, or that you can kind of see a, a a funnel or some sort of a draw that the coyotes would make their way towards where there would be this either you know some sort of a dying rabbit or uh, some sort of an animal in distress, or maybe maybe even a coyote that they don't like being there if you're going to use some coyote vocalizations. And uh, you try and then set yourself up in the best spot where you're not going to get winded, but you can see this corridor or something that you think they're going to come through. Um, but uh, anyway, so y- we, you go throughout different sets. I think we had maybe somewhere around, what would you say? Did we set five times? Like five, five, Dude, or, five or six that day? I'd say probably. five or six for sure, the first day. Yeah. You know, and, and this was somewhat... I guess somewhat unique, maybe not that unique, but, you know, we had permission on, you know, a couple different adjoining pieces, right? And it was definitely enough country to walk around and hunt, but it wasn't so much that you couldn't cover it in a day. I know, I think I've heard a rule of thumb, and I think that's about right. Like, you kind of want to have about a mile between sets, you know, just Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. let it breathe a little bit, you know, put some distance between your last one. Um, And I think we were probably inside of that but we we're also in that really broken country with a lot of cover yeah you know uh, it was interesting to the, the way the sound was carrying i didn't feel like it was actually carrying that far which you, you think oh it's nebraska it's wide open um again this is just kind of like observation so somebody might be listening to this right now and being like oh wrong 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 but um <laughs> don't comment below um but yeah so uh yeah we got a handful of sets in and it was pretty rugged. I mean, deep, pretty deep snow. Oh, yeah. Rugged country. Like you said, Jim, I think our approach was almost similar to how you would, you know, in any other game animal, really. Like, find a place where they're likely to be. Find a place where you can see a little bit so you can shoot. Try and keep the wind in your favor, which I think that might have been one of our major challenges in there. The wind was a little bit fickle. I think really it was swirly because of the Swirly country. and pulling up, up and down some of those draws and just not super consistent. So... I think there's probably actually a high likelihood we maybe we were just getting busted. And with, yeah, with how many hidey holes there were all around everywhere, you know, and you're trying to, you got all your gear on because it's frozen out there. I mean, it is the tundra. Everybody's faces were just icicles out there. As I mean, as we're, we're about to get out of the truck, and the truck said negative eighteen. I'm yeah, like ooh, she's a bit, she's a bit hippie out there. Yeah. You're hiking around out there. You got your big clumsy boots on. You got, you know, we're carrying these rifles around and stuff, and and so you can't help but in a lot of ways make some noise, especially in that broken country. There are times where we had to basically slide down small grassy cliffs, essentially, or climb up them. So that definitely wasn't ideal. It was funny. We did see a fair amount of mule deer. 
mm-hmm. on that day one. And we, we saw, saw everything but coyotes. Pretty much yeah. everything but coyotes. We even saw a turkey out in a field just grazing around, scratching around oh, at the, a uh, ton at the of ground. Them. Tons of turkey. Um, and we saw lots of evidence of coyotes, though. There's a lot of tracks. And that was one thing that I would say we sort of would try to use for some of our sets. Now, obviously, you're listening to this, and it's like, oh, well, we had this strategy. It didn't work. So why would you do that strategy? That's it. Um, But, I mean, this is just some of our trial and error. If you can learn anything from stuff we tried that didn't work. Um, And maybe it's, the thing is, too, is it's hard to say if it just, if it never would work if you tried it, or if it's just that day at that time and that temperature or whatever. Who knows what? Oh, I'm I'm 100% confident we could go up in that same piece of country and you could go up today tomorrow another time and 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 call some dogs and i mean they were there yeah yeah i mean we cut several sets of singles we cut one double and then that one was that three i think there was a group of three you know yeah. in that one set of tracks running or that the snow. there was like you know you could tell that there was three running together so some of them were especially the one we had the one set so we came up on top of this hill. There was some open ag land that was uh, between sort of two big uh, tufts of trees and some some really breaky stuff that went down at a pretty steep angle. We were on one side of it. There was a big open area between us where we saw those doubles mm-hmm. headed over to the other side. And they were tucked down, and they were pretty fresh tracks. And we were almost certain that those coyotes were literally just maybe you know about 300 yards away tucked down in that stuff and i mean we were ready we had everything like we were talking about like well when they come out of you know when they come out of there you know you're gonna do this or i'm gonna be here you're gonna be there all this stuff and uh ultimately no dice yeah i mean there was definitely a few sets you know like i said i think we did five or six where there there were probably half of them where i was like confidence level high Mm -hmm. and half of them were like well you never know what's gonna happen you know, right. could work, and I, sometimes I feel like that's when it works. You're like, <laughs> right. oh, this one's going to be garbage. Like, ah, oh, there's seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We did also start, we started closer to the truck than far from mm-hmm. the truck. You know, like we didn't, and one thing you said that resonated with me, I know, is you were like, well, why would you walk by coyotes in order to call coyotes? Like, there might be some pretty close by yeah. to where you are. Yeah, you know, and it was it was good country, Um some cattle ranching going on right there. So human activity and trucks and vehicles being where we parked and slamming doors or whatever. I mean, I don't think we're like intentionally slamming doors or anything like that, but um, I didn't feel like that was going to be like a huge negative, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I could have seen, sometimes you you do see coyotes in pretty close proximity to to that ranching and things like that. So, um, and like you said, you know, why... You know, so we kind of got to our first point where we could get up high. We could see down into the cedars. It was very, um, it was thick down in those draws, thicker than I thought it was going to be from the aerials. Yeah, absolutely. D- you definitely could see less than I anticipated. Yeah, um, which I think again, I think that was could have been part of our problem. Or maybe we called zero dogs in, and and that was it. Or maybe we called ten in and just never got a look at them before they went at us. I don't know, Coop. What, what are your what are your thoughts? What were your observations? Yeah, I do, I definitely agree with you guys as far as the terrain. I mean, day one especially, you know, with those real steep ravines like that, and you know, the questionable wind you mentioned. You know, I, I feel like we hunted it right. You know, we hunted our way in, uh, used the wind the best of our abilities. But at the end of the day, you know, like you said, that bowl up there, I mean, who knows if that wind was swirling and we just couldn't tell. You know, like we said, though, like I think it was our second set where we were up at a good high point and you could just see down in the ravines perfectly. It seemed like, like you said, all right, when he comes, he's going to be right here. And I, it just makes a guy wonder, you know, if it is, in fact, that wind or, you know, we just couldn't see you so far. But, you know, I think we hunted it right, you know. As, as best of 
our abilities at least. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think you got to keep in mind too, and and this is part of the fun, right? I think mm-hmm. this is part of the reason why we were like, let's go to Nebraska, and you know, I, I uh, leveraged uh, some connections. A buddy of mine back in my uh, Cabela's corporate days um, still had family in the area, uh, gave him a ring. He's like, oh yeah, come on out, you know. So and and they were like super amazing, and even you know got us permission on some landowners that were adjacent to what they Mm -hmm. had uh so we had a little bit more room to roam there but we'd never set foot on this piece ever before and and i'll say this a hundred times more probably but um you just everything is you have a you have an idea when you get there but when you are boots on the ground it is it can be just a different world and and you know so we we didn't know the country so you got to learn the country again part of the fun um are there some things that I'd do differently on that piece? Yeah, I'd probably actually come back. I'd, I'd come in, starting out, I wouldn't do anything differently. I'd be like, yeah, that's we, we approached it. But I'd actually come in from the opposite side and, okay, uh, yeah. and start up high. And I think Instead uh, of doing like we did, starting down low and making our way up. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the that's what kinda, I was thinking. Too. Uh, I was thinking pretty much the exact same thing as well. Mm-hmm. I do think that would just seem to make more sense for whatever reason. But And, and some of that goes into like, you kind of learn how the property sets up, how it lays out. Okay, okay. Oh, this road is over here. You know, you can, and, and you can do the, a lot of this from aerials as well. But um, I don't yeah. know. It's just it's a little different when you get there. Yeah, um, there is something about coming in up high that, you, especially in the conditions that we have there, like when you come in down low in elevation, it's. I do feel like your tendency of being seen, making more noise because you're usually like huffing it more. So you're not only are you breathing harder, but you're usually like having to grab onto stuff if you have to try and heave your mm-hmm. way up something. It's just, it's more noisy. It's easier to see. And if you can come up up high, you can kind of like tiptoe your way up to things. And I feel like your wind is also much less likely to sort of, you know, when you're coming down low, your wind, I feel like, just follows up. But when you come in up high, you might get lucky and just have it kind of stay over the top. Yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, this and is all Time of day is going to play yeah. into that, you know, and and that's also going to be, I mean, and we took that into consideration, at least when we started, right? We're like, okay, the wind's pushing out of the north, so we're going to start on this side, try and keep yeah. it in our favor. Um, you know, And but also I can, I, can, I guess, uh, contradict myself and say um, pretty tough to give up those first two draws that we could see up into. By starting from the bottom. So, yeah. I don't know. But day two, though, let's talk about that a little bit here. And I don't think anybody's going to be like, it's not going to be some super surprise that we have to wait to reveal. But we did end up being able to shoot one on day two. We got one. We got we one, did. everybody. Um, so this wasn't... Uh, this, we, I feel like our our minimum threshold on pod ventures is always, well, let's just not do as bad as we did on boats and boats. <laughs> and, and this one, we elevated ourselves pretty quickly above Yeah, that's level. probably... Uh, that trip was like a blessing because you set the bar so, like, below low. Like, whatever the, low is. Like, whatever the baseline of low and then starting below that. Yeah. Boy, man, there's a lot no of room for up, Even with the marketing <laughs> team here, I mean, that was our second pod venture. I remember everybody was like, are you guys sure you should be doing these? But now it's like anything that comes out afterwards. Like, oh, at least it's better than that one. Almost like it was planned that way, Almost. Jim. Um, but, uh, all right. So we go out this one, this time we were in much more open country. I just, for whatever reason, looking around it, I remember liking it better. I remember as soon as we got there and not only did it just look better for whatever reason, I liked the fact that it was open with these, uh, what do they call them? That those, um, big straight pockets of trees. What do they call them again? Oh, uh, 
They oh, call them window shelter break shelter break. breaks. Shelter something. Yeah, shelter break. break I think shelter break. I just call them tree rows. But. Tree rows. Yeah, something like that. But you had those on, occasionally in different spots, and you could see out really, really far away. And there was all these different shelter breaks, tree rows, whatever. Yeah, if, if you find a tree in this region of Nebraska, there's a high likelihood it was planted by somebody. Yeah, <laughs> and there's also a high other than the cedars, which I think are kind of invasive. Like we saw that one field where they were actually it looks like they're intentionally just hacking them down. And oh yeah, I've heard. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. I, I need to find more about those cedars because they offer a lot of cover and diversify the habitat. But I think they're also kind of overtaking some mm-hmm. of that landscape. When you see trees, too, out there, there's a pretty high likelihood that there's probably something living right in them or around them. Yes. Which is kind of nice, because you can you can sort of rule out stuff really quickly. Whereas when you're in the really breaky stuff, it was like, well, what does it look like just over there? And then you pop up, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's not a good spot. Or like, oh, this could be awesome. But there, you're pretty much like, you can pick and choose right off the bat if you just get a little elevation. Um, but we went out. Let's talk about, I feel like, Mark, in our sets, we started to get a little bit into our rhythm with calling. Mm-hmm. Because you were running the caller, you were running the e-caller, and you had your mouth calls as well. Mm-hmm. Talk about your strategy out there, because I actually found it to be different than what you did the first day. The first day, we were mostly, we'd get to a spot, and it was like distress call would, would start, mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. most part. Yep. The second day, you had a slightly different way of going about it that I think ended up really helping us a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I think anytime on any hunt, like, you kind of got to feel your way through it, and you're, you're going to try some things, do some A-B testing. You know, we could have found that the distress calls were just money, and anytime you hit the rabbit squealer, here they come a-running, right? They're yeah. just they're so hungry, and it's just on fire, and that's all you need. And so, yeah, so we started predominantly with distress calls. I know some, some very accomplished coyote hunters that only use distress calls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they do quite well. One thing that we did have in our favor was uh, the breeding season that was going on. Uh, so the coyotes, you know, they're, they're, they're getting together, they're getting paired up, they're breeding. Uh, we saw some of this activity. Jim, I think you were a little bit shocked by it. Uh, we'll I get, was just we'll shocked. get to that a little bit later. Okay, we'll get to that. I'm not shocked that coyotes breed. All right, let's just get to I'm I not had to, I, did, I ended up having to do a lot of explaining to Jim in the truck about uh, how these things work. But... Uh, just can't believe that that's how they're made. No. Uh. But, uh, so yeah, day two, we mix it up, right? Something wasn't working. Let's try something a little different. Uh, so we did a, a couple different sets and started mixing in the coyote vocals. Um, tried a variety of them. You know, that Fox Pro Caller has a lot of different sounds on them and just trying to see, you know, try something, see if it sticks. And uh, we uh, eventually got to a point where we ripped out uh, some howls. I want to believe it was, uh, now I'm giving away all my trade secrets, the lone deep female howl <laughs> was the one uh, the one that ended so, up. So now uh, settings in an e-collar are like your hunting spots now, huh? Oh, I don't want to give away my uh, my perfect e-collar. Hey, did I? I coughed it up. You did. You did. You know? Begrudgingly. Uh, uh, and one thing, and again, and, and if you listen to... Um, our podcast with with Matt McHugh, he talks about this, and really, I was just trying to go mentally go through what we chatted about yeah. in the in the podcast with him, as far as like you know those female sounds, they're not, they're not going to be um, intimidating in any way, very welcoming. Like you're not gonna, you know, if you do some super crazy aggressive male challenge, right? Like you might get one, but you're kind of excluding you know, some other folks. Yeah, and that, the, yeah, the one you're probably going to get is something that's just like trying to be even more aggressive or more dominant, which doesn't come along 
as frequently as just the rest of them. Right. And and really, I mean, the goal was, I mean, you might get something to come into that, right? But also just to get an answer, just mm-hmm. to find out where the heck these things are. I mean, it's almost like uh, like elk hunting, right? You know, you rip off a few bugles, and eventually you're like, well, there's one over there. Let's head that way, you know? Yep. And th- that's what happened there. We got a group to light up, and when I say group, there was a group of them down in there. Yeah. And Cooper and I are still convinced there was two groups. Yeah. There was one that ended up being the direction that we went. Mm-hmm. And and there was one, I swear. Now, of course, the other thing is, too, since you were shooting that break 6.5 Creed, we did have, like, I had Ear Pro loosely in and ready to just, like, finish popping all the way in if we saw something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it was in my head. I don't think it was the wind howling, but I do think there was another group that was down to our uh, our left. The, the the one that we really heard fire up was more to our right. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, so you had a suppressor on your AR. The gun that I initially planned on using was threaded. I was going to huck a suppressor on that thing. And uh, ideally, I mean, it's always a good idea to wear hearing protection where you shoot, even with a suppressor. It's not like they're super insane. It's not like they're 100% quiet, but you can kind of, in my opinion, get away with a little bit more as far as, you know, not not damaging your, you know, at least blowing your eardrums out, right? Um, But I didn't have that. And so uh, I had my ear pro in as well, so which was kind of a pain. We'll right? talk more about suppressors yeah. in a bit. Oh gosh, they're great. So yeah, we got this group fired up. Lots of dogs, like you said. There might have been two different groups. The one that was, I think, I guess, as as we we're the way we were oriented, uh, you know, to our left. Uh, and I think the wind was kind of blowing that way a little yep. bit too. So that one maybe it was over there and yeah. kind of got onto us. Uh, we called. I did have a feeling we were a little bit far away, but I kind of also wanted to see what would happen and see if we could get something to come in. And I didn't want to, you know, press in too tight and mm-hmm. then you know and blow to, it to describe it as well. I guess I was like, well, they can hear us. Yeah. We were on a fence row, and we were looking across some open stuff that I remember even thinking, like, 200 yards forward and to our left a little bit was also a group of hay bales, and we were thinking, like, one might even come squirting right out of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't see that happen. Um, But just looking at the landscape, it was very rolly, and it, it, it... it was a very miniature version of what we were in the day before because it was breaky, but it, it, it wasn't like really big hills. It was mm-hmm. just big enough to maybe conceal like a coyote. Much more subtle for sure. Mm-hmm. Much more yep. subtle, yep. but it was still pretty rugged. There was a lot of stuff to hide in or behind or around. And I remember when we got up there, I was like, this just looks really... You don't even have to have hunted coyotes your entire life because obviously I haven't, but I remember getting up there and being like, I like this for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but to, to describe what we were looking at, as you went out a little bit further and further, I think it was probably about 400 yards maybe forward and to our right, it sort of dipped off and then there was this unknown land between that dip and then another hill way, way off in the distance. So when we heard these things fired up, it was kind of coming from behind that. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say if, like, well, are they just over the rise and they're about to come barreling over, or are they way off in the distance yet and that sound is just carrying across this open expanse? Yep, yep. And like you like you said, Jim, that spot was so cool because, well, we obviously knew we had those coyotes way off in the distance, but we had some cool trees and cover and some different habitat to our left we had those hay bales i've seen coyotes hang around hay bales looking for mice i've seen them sitting on top of hay bales before um it just seemed too good to pass up to not give it a try right there we could have had one that was you know 100 yards away that just came firing in and 
and uh, which ended up not happening. Uh, and then uh, now I'm going through my memory bank. So I think we pushed in. Did we do one more set between that spot? No. no. No, it was that spot. So you threw out the you threw out the sort of lone female howl. We got them to respond back. You threw out, I think, maybe another howl or something just like that. And yep. then basically we went to distress calls. And it was a lot like Matt was talking about because he was saying you play more on their mind than you do their stomach mm-hmm. in this time of a year. So we were trying to set up the scenario where this lone female was out and about, kind of maybe encroaching in on another group of coyotes' territory. She let out some howls. They're either howling at her like, hey, you know, whatever. We don't like you here. We do like you here. Who knows what during right. that time of year. And uh, But then all of a sudden, she kills something. Right. And that's kind of what we're going for. And so that, when we started up the distress calls, that was when we didn't really hear the coyotes very much anymore and we were just waiting on them to just come up over that rise mm-hmm. it just didn't really end up happening and that's when you kind of said like i think they're just we're not in their bubble yet yep yep and i and i, I truly i do think that was i that was the case yep. and to that exact point jimmy i mean mark you and i have talked about this numerous times but just being able to adapt on the fly like you plan out every hunt you know you have this vision of what it looks like and rarely does it ever happen, you know. So, like you guys had just said, you know, change the call from a distress to, you know, more uh, coyote-based calling sequence that next day and just get in that bubble, you know. Yep, yep. So we moved. I bet we cut, I don't know, probably at least 1,000 yards off it, right? Yeah, I would say so. I bet we, we, I we bet came we up over that rise. We came up over that rise, and we did, again, just see this super expansive, like, just bowl within a big long gradual hill with some kind of you know breaky stuff and trees all along it across the way we measured it at about you know midway up the hill was about a thousand yards away so it was we could see a long way yeah and uh got set up like we picked a spot before we called we're like okay let's get to a, a spot where we have a vantage where we've got some shooting lanes where we think these coyotes might come. We got set up. You got on your tripod. Uh, I didn't have my tripod. I wished I had my tripod. Oh, man, the tripod. We'll um, talk more about that in a second, too. And, uh, again, kind of went go with what go with what worked, you know. And, and at the previous set, we did try a couple different coyote vocalizations, and, and they did respond to both. But the one that they responded to initially and also the, the one that uh, I think I tried some mail sounds after on that first set and i think they responded but they kind of shut down a little bit too like and i was like okay maybe they responded but they just didn't care for it so we kind of went back to to that that lone female and uh man they fired up again we got a beat on them we're like man we you know where are they where are they they're we're definitely closer uh and then jim you spotted the first one incredibly i never see coyotes and i actually spotted one which was a damn good spot because you, you're like, I mean, and actually it was perfect because that big green cedar, that lone cedar, like you can have a better landmark there just to the right of that. And, uh, yeah, I ranged in my, I want to say 1062. Yep. Uh, and then another one joined that one. And then another joined one joined that one. Then all of a sudden there was uh, a fourth, I believe, uh, charging in with a, a high sense of urgency. I've never seen anything go from... <laughs> That full of a sprint to that intensive act, amount act in no time flat. It was just it was just 
dead spray. It was video game level stopping ability. Unbelievable. And uh, I exclaimed something that I, I, it just came out. Well, you were surprised. Yeah. I think it, I think the, I, said, I, I can't think believe it. they're doing that. <laughs> uh, I just wasn't kind expecting of, that. That's kind of how you yeah. said it. Um, but anyway, I do remember though, like they fired up and I remember thinking to myself, like, I was like, well, I'm probably not going to be the guy who spots this coyote, you know, when they're out here, you know, I, but I was looking through my scope. I had the Razor 1 to 10, and so I cranked it up to 10 power because I'm like, well, I, I kind of have an idea just based on the sound. They're, they're coming from still pretty far out there. And I was like, I just feel like if a coyote's rip-roaring, making a bunch of sounds like these ones are, barking, howling, like I don't think coyotes just make that sound where they're just laying down and loafing under a tree. Maybe they do. I, I could be wrong. But I was like, it just sounds like like they're up and you know moving. So I looked out and I was looking for something that was basically just up and moving. And I, yeah, it just happened to all of a sudden see something that didn't look like a rock or a tree. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's a coyote. And uh, yeah, then all of a sudden there were four. And um, once we saw them, then that's when you switched to the distress call, yep. right? Yeah, and we, we'd been using the e-caller a lot with its distress sounds, and, and they work great, and I've used Fox Pros in the past and had really, really good luck with them, with, with the e-calls, but it just seemed like in that setting, uh, and I guess kind of like, I mean, that Fox Pro gets pretty loud, but I felt like I could get a little bit more volume with the hand calls, and I knew they were pretty far out, like you said, we're, mm-hmm. we're talking at, you know, about 1062, which, you know, in my coyote hunting experience, like, I've seen them definitely come in from that far, um, so I knew it was possible, and, uh, yeah, I just started jumping on the on the rabbit squealer. Now, at that point in time, like, I kind of had to transition from my optics to the calls, so I couldn't really tell what they were doing, uh, but Jim, I think, or Jim, you and Coop, like, what did you, like, so when Cooper I, when I went to this the best, he actually had the best view on what they were doing. So when I started ripping on that hand call, like how did their behavior change? What happened there? So when you started hitting that hand call, like obviously they were moving at a pretty good speed across that ridge top as it was, um, you know, to try to catch up with that female, um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously obviously i mean as it's we know, season, it, you know yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but you know they were on her you know very, fairly quickly and and at that range you know a thousand yards out i, I kind of lost them under a swale and it would seem to be forever but i know it wasn't maybe more than a couple minutes we were i was looking straight out you know towards that funnel where we anticipated all them coyotes to come just perfect you know like your guys's best shot opportunity my best opportunity for good footage you know but at about 300 yards out, I seen one one lone coyote just hauling along that fence line. Yeah. And that's when I, I reached up to you, I believe, and I was like, Jim, he's coming from the left, you know, or whatever, straight ahead. And uh, it had to be a couple more minutes before he actually got... It actually was, yeah. It was a little bit, because I remember you telling me that, and you were situated up a bit higher than I was, yep. just only a little bit higher than I was, because I'm sitting off the tripod. So I was sitting down, I had the tripod splayed out, I was kind of like sitting inside the tripod a bit, and I had the gun pointed in such a way where I could aim it easily at that sort of funnel. And I had, obviously, then a little bit of articulation. And so I couldn't quite see that fence line that you were talking about. Right. But from what you described, it sounded like he was hauling. And yeah. so I was expecting to see him any second. But it was weird how long it took. It's like he must have been hauling to a certain spot on that fence line where he de- he determined, like, that's his cross spot. And then from there, he was like, all right, now I'm now I'm behind enemy lines, so to speak. Right. i got to, like, go, go slow. You know, I almost wonder... You know, I mean, there was not near severe 
as up a bowl as what we had hiked through the day before and hunted over those sets. But I almost wonder, you know, we were up on that high point if our wind was maybe swirling down there and just maybe turned him off a little, you know, and tried to make that loop back. I mean, could have been I mean, that, that chance. That could have been, or maybe, you know, I mean, they definitely, I was shocked that they didn't come straight up the pipe. Yeah. When you, when you said, when you're like, he's coming from the left, I thought he was going to funnel right up that bottom like water. I was like, it's it's almost like it's the most cover for them. They're the, they're going to be the, they're going to be hidden all the way up. This mm-hmm. is where the sound is coming from. Now, granted, I can definitely see them trying to get downwind of it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's probably what the direction where they came from. But uh, I was so hyper focused on that area. It was the best place that I could see. It's where you said that they were coming from. Yep. It was directly in line with kind of how they were when we saw them. You know, so you know, super far away. And uh, and I was also laying prone, and mm-hmm. so there was kind of some of that higher uh, that higher brush that ended up being like right in my line of sight to where that dog poked its head up, Jim. But I actually even wonder. I'm not sure I would have even been able to see it at the time that you shot had there not been that brush there, just because of the roll of the hill and the fact that I was prone out. I mean, I was rock solid. If something came up the pipe, like they were in trouble. But I I was having trouble, or I would have had trouble seeing where they actually did come from. Yeah. It was very strange the way that they popped up because so to try and explain it, we were sitting just immediately to the left of like where the funnel got really skinny and then it kind of protruded out from us forward. Um, There was a fence line and then it just sort of gradually got bigger like a funnel does until it opened up into a bigger bowl that was probably 250-ish yards away. And uh, that was where we kept expecting them to pop out and be running up. But immediately forward of us, as you kind of came up out of that funnel that was down low... There was this kind of flat ground that was across from the fence, and it was at probably, it was just kind of like a little plateau up there, and uh, it had a lot of brush on it, but it was at about 150 yards, between 100 and 150 yards away. And I was looking in that funnel the whole time, and I'm waiting for just, there was this nice big white patch of snow that Cooper was saying that that thing was basically on just an absolute bead for. And I can't remember what caused me to look away, but I kind of just like glanced to my left a little bit and I saw a movement and up pops this coyote on this like higher flat to the to the left of that funnel and I just saw his his kind of little head come up a little bit I saw his pointy ears and he walked out just a smidge until he was about even with me and then he looked over to his right and we're sitting there you know obviously the the one difficult thing you got when you're trying to video uh, a hunt is that you've got a tripod, right? So I don't know if he saw maybe the tripod that Cooper had. I mean, Cooper didn't have it at standing height for Pete's sake, but you know, it's still just something that probably he's not used to right. seeing there. Um, we were, I mean, we were a little bit exposed there. I mean, it was almost yeah. impossible not to be. That country right. was so open. Yeah, but he did. He just glanced over to his right, and I remember saying, "Like I got him." And this is the where the beauty of the dang tripod comes into play. I love the tripod now so much because I had my AR just via that handguard. I kind of had it in a saddle mount right atop the uh, radian carbon tripod that we have. And um, I had the one with the leveling head, so it was just a quick twist to unlock. I swung it right over onto him, and it was just, it's so steady. There's there's no like, oh, I swung too far to the left. Now I got to come back to the right. Now I got to steady it out. It was just, boop, no, right on him. He looked at me, put the crosshairs, because I knew he was within around that 200-yard mark and being zeroed at 50 yards with an AR, I was like, well, we got a pretty good shot when he's straight on. My elevation isn't going to be a huge deal. So basically put the crosshairs at like neck level, base of his neck, and pulled the trigger. And it was, you even remarked, uh, remarked, Mark, um, that you were like, 
pretty uneasy because of how fast it happened. I mean, I was basically like, oh, I got one. I mean, it was... It might have even been faster than that. I don't. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what you said. I, th- I, th- I, I think it might have been like there he is, or I see one, or but it was like there he is, boom. And I'm like, oh, Jim, you rushed it. You rushed the shot. Damn it, <laughs> you rushed the shot. Like, but I also know you're a really good shot too, and you're not gonna just like, you know, just full send like not aim right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I mean, I was like, like I was super optimistic, but I was like, it, it was just so fast. Like, yeah, the way. It was it was nearly instantaneous. It felt fast for me too, and, and it was part of the reason why I think there was actually even a bit of, despite how quick it happened, I could have even pulled the trigger a bit quicker. But I got on the coyote so fast that even I was like, something feels wrong. Right. <laughs> that was too fast. Oh, and we're then here. I was like, okay, wait, no, he's got to go, or else he's gonna spook. So I pulled the trigger, but like I heard it, I heard a good thud mm-hmm. and i remember telling you guys that i was like did you guys see that anybody else see that and you know like coop i don't know if you saw it because you were looking in a different direction i heard the shot okay in fact, absolutely for sure yeah all right <laughs> mark was down low though and he's you know he didn't quite see it and yeah. i'm like i'm like i heard a thud coop you're like yeah i think so and mark's like i don't know we sat there a little bit you tried blowing on the call a bit more to see if we could get something else to come in because yep. I was shooting suppressed, so it wasn't a big event, if you will, when my gun went off. It was, you know, you still get the supersonic crack because it's 5.56. Five, I wasn't shooting subs or anything. But it it's not, I mean, it was, it's, it's a pleasant sound, if you will. For sure, yeah. And so you shot, I actually went immediately to go to my, uh, like a pup distressed hand call, mm-hmm. uh, which the reed was filled with snow. Uh, <laughs> so that didn't work. And so then I just went back to the to the rabbit squealer and and. Because, you know, keep in mind, um, and again, did it work this time? No, as far as, like, calling in a double. But you had that, you shot suppressed. Like, it's a different sound. It's not that big boom, like with that breaky 6.5 that if I'd, you know, taken a shot. And I thought we had a legitimate good chance of having one of those other dogs, Mm -hmm. you know, keep coming in. Uh, That didn't happen. Also, we did see one of the dogs, or Cooper, or both you guys did running away from where Jim shot, and that's also what started playing tricks in my mind. I'm like, God, is that him? Did you know? Did he just right. turn tail and 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 zip out of there? Yeah. I didn't come to find out we'd actually called in a pair. Yeah, Coop, you went back. I actually haven't seen this footage yet. You went back and you saw a second coyote because yeah. I, as soon as I saw the one move, I was my focus was keyed in on that one guy, and then obviously I'm in the scope and I took the shot, but. You said that there actually was a second one kind of up in that same area, huh? Yeah, there was two, and that actually had came. Mark, I know you've seen those mule deer that had been pretty much behind us a little ways. Yep. And that ridge kind of ran back towards them, and where I, and you know, in that frame of your angle on that shot, the two coyotes, in fact, almost like they kind of come from behind us. I mean, they were absolutely using that wind to try to get to some sort of vantage for sure. They're so crafty. Yeah, they are. It was it was amazing to see the footage, you know, because like you, I mean, I seen the one you shot for a half a second, just like you, and literally did we know the whole time there's another one standing there. That's so wild. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to have had like some sort of bird's eye where we could have seen the path they took all the way in, and did oh. they actually get up in behind us and then cut oh, like down a, and back? Yeah, I mean, an aerial view with a John Madden yellow pen all yeah. over following their yeah. And that's just part of the fun trying to figure these darn things out. Exactly. But it we is. got one. We got one. We eventually everybody. walked down there. Jim, you you had high confidence. You're well, like we, you're like I can't have missed this thing. We dumped him. I mean, he that like 
it's it's a good feeling anytime you're hunting anything when you just know that you just just didn't waste any time. Boom. And uh and yeah, you could tell like basically right where I recalled him being when I took the shot was where he was when we when we walked up on him and it didn't really take any searching at all. So um yeah, he he went down and uh super cool. I mean, it was it was really really awesome to see. It was cool to see everything work out like I explained before. I built that AR like four years ago or something like that. And um, so a, a build that I hadn't really shot a whole lot for a long time. Then we have these new tripods that come out. I was learning how to use that along the way. We're on this pod venture. Um, never hunted coyotes before. Terrible at even spotting them. And then they're, they're laid one. Wild to see how not large they are. I remember that was one of the things. Everybody always talks about how coyotes really aren't that big. Mm-hmm. But then when you actually see one up close, you're like, yeah, that's really not that big. I mean, I've got a couple of dogs that are, I always look at as medium-sized, smaller, slender dogs. I'm thinking, yep, you guys are basically coyote-sized, you know? Yep, yep. I'd say, you know, I guess I'm no coyote biologist, but I think, you know, it was a male. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was probably like, I mean, it was an adult, but probably like a younger male. Yep. I think probably some, you know, so, I mean, I think they definitely get bigger than that. I mean, that was obviously, a you know, like I said, a, a full-size adult. Fur it up real nice. Uh, which, uh, an, it, one of the really cool, interesting parts of, of the podcast we did with Greg mm-hmm. and some of the video that you shot, Cooper, was he had hides running the gamut from, you know, basically throwaway to yeah. super prime, right? In different regions of In the country. Different regions of the country. So we got some color variations there. Um, but really cool for him to kind of go through what makes a good hide, you know, with the guard hairs, with, you know, some, you know, I guess discoloration in certain regions of the hide, you know, depending on uh, time of year, things like that. And from what I learned from that, looking at that one that you shot, I'm like, this thing looks like a pretty darn nice coyote. I think it was a pretty prime hide on it because, yeah, all the guard hairs were there and even all the way around, not just on the back, on the sides too. Right. And his chest was not, I mean, granted, I I did put a hole in it, but Greg said it's not a huge deal if you do. No. Um, And, you know, a little bit of blood too just comes right out. So, but the chest was really nice as well. It wasn't like he'd been itching it and getting it all scratched up and exposing all that kind of like, uh, I call call it like dove colored fur underneath, you know. Oh, sure. Um, The grayish stuff. And I think some of that could be um, with the terrain, right? Like where they, where we ended up getting on those dogs, like they're not going through like crazy like cockle burrs and thistles oh, and open. thick brush, yeah. you know. So I mean, they are they could be bedding in the snow, which that can you know pull some hair out, you know, some of those guard hairs and things like that. Which I mean, they really didn't have a choice. Like they were bedding in the snow. There was a lot of snow out there, but overall, though, pretty solid looking dog. Yeah. Then we took it back and we tried to skin it there, which was an interesting process. I think. In hindsight, we did just, being that it was still minus 18 that day as well. So just keep that in mind. You know, successful coyote hunt, called some in, it was minus 18. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Colder, yeah. Cold as balls. But anyway, probably in hindsight, would have just let him freeze and then thaw and work on him at home. Yeah, I think. Would you say? that? Pro- yeah, yeah, I would say that, Jim. That probably would have been optimal. I thought I thought we had enough things to to get it done and, and do a good job. You know, part of my thought process there was, like, it still was a little bit warm. It yeah. had cooled down a lot, uh, quite a bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, we just had a long drag back. Right. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, probably probably should have you know brought it back home or the and like I said in in hindsight. But I, my thinking there was it's a little bit warm. It's going to peel easier. I've, right. I've tried to skin frozen animals before. Uh, well, and that's just what we ended up doing is skinning a frozen animal. You know, I mean, he got he cooled down on the drag back, and then we got him there finally to the truck. And, uh, you know, we found a tree that we could hang him in and all that stuff. And it was just like, by that point, he was cold. And it was so cold outside that you, if you started to expose anything underneath that fur, like it, you'd get the legs peeled back. And literally, it was like what you were once grabbing onto that was pliable, you know, flesh as you're skinning it down. You go to do one thing for 10 seconds, you go back to it, and you're like, oh, that's stiff. That's basically ice now. It was, yeah, nearly freezing in- instantly. So, <laughs> um, and uh, I've, I've, I guess full disclosure, like never case skinned. Like I've shot a fair amount of coyotes, but anytime we've even dropped them off, like like we talked about with Greg, which is getting a little bit more rare, um, just drop them off in the round if you've wanted to get a little bit of money for it. Or I've flat skinned a couple of them, uh, like you might like a bear rug, like I mm. fully tanned one ish one time that actually turned out okay, but I, I just hadn't case skinned one before. So a little bit of a learning curve there. Some things I'd do differently next time. It actually had been a, a while since I'd worked on a coyote, and very different than the deer. Like that hide is quite a bit thinner. You got to be pretty careful. Very pretty careful with that knife. So I don't know. I mean, learning by doing, though, right? Like I, I kind of have this. I guess this um, not vendetta, but like I, I want to get good at skinning and. Uh, and, and and getting coyotes put up. Like, yeah, that's my that's that's a goal of mine in, here in the near future, or at least next winter, is to get to the point where like super proficient. Yep. Navigating that cold, I'll tell you one thing. We did a podcast a while back on how cold weather affects your gear, and I, I mean that did I did actually wind up putting a lot of that stuff into practice. I mean, something that's just so easy to overlook is your optics in the cold. And, f- and external fog, right? So I'm going to just like external fog, right? I can't tell you how many times I was sitting there looking, you know, the call is going, especially on that second day when we started to get some activity, getting real excited, start breathing a little heavy. I maybe pulled the balaclava down for a little bit, start breathing a little heavy, and I look down at my eyepiece, and I've just breathed all this fog onto the eyepiece, which is now like freezing to the eyepiece. And I'm like, dang it, you know, like trying to clean that off. And, uh, you know, or you set something down in the snow and it falls over and now you got snow all over your optics, all over the glass. And you're like, stupid, you know, and you're trying to get it out of there, but then it's smudging. And I mean, it was it was a constant process of trying to keep the exterior surfaces of the glass in good shape and then, you know, not getting super wet and smudgy or frosted and then also trying not to freeze to death. <laughs> yes. There was that, too. You got to drink a lot of water. I mean, it's not that you have to just drink more water than you would if you're on a regular hunt. You just have to realize that, for whatever reason, your body just doesn't tell you it's thirsty when it's that cold out. No. I mean, we were, like, huffing it on those hills on the first day for a long time, like half a day. Finally, we get around to, like, noon, noon 30 or something like that. I'm thinking, I haven't had one drink of water, and we've been, like, Worked. Well, and on you're those like hills. you drink water all day, Jim. I do. I drink a lot of water. on the daily. You like are always drinking water. Um, and like I said, you kind of got to force yourself to to remember to do that because you do need it. You are sweating still. You know yeah. some of those hills. You know that's the other tricky thing too is trying to regulate your temperature and not work so hard that you can 
completely get you know drenched from the inside out. Then you go sit down for five minutes and, and Coop freeze. was soaked. Yep, that's kind of the way I rolled. But it was uh, we had it timed out enough. You know, half hour rough sit, whatever. It was by the time I would get a slight bit chilly, mm-hmm. we were already moving again. So it was definitely made the process uh, easier to stay warm for sure. Yeah. yeah. For someone who's a bit more of an impatient hunter, I do like coyote hunting a lot because if you sit there for 30 minutes and you call, it's like you can move and yeah. it's, it's acceptable to do so. <laughs> yeah. On to the next Stick spot. Whereas when you're, uh, when you're in the whitetail season and I sit in a spot for 30 minutes, I'm like, I think I'm going to go still hunting. <laughs> it's like usually not that acceptable. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go still hunt. Jim, you've got 20 acres to work with. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, one... Uh, uh, having a mix of e-calls and hand calls, I, I would, you know, like I said, I don't claim to be any like expert coyote hunter, but you know, I've shot, shot enough of them, called enough of them in. Um, the guy you want to listen to is Matt in our previous podcast. Undoubtedly. But, um, or Dustin. We did a really good one with Dustin Butler too. Oh yeah, too. that's right. So we've got a couple of really good calling podcasts that people should, should look back on and they can probably learn a lot more than, than from us here right now. But having that mix of, of e-caller and, and hand calls, um, man, I, 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 I just think that's really, really a good tip. Mm-hmm. Um, it increases your versatility. You can certainly make coyote vocalizations with hound calls. I mean, there's there's howlers and things like that. Um, I do think that they're tough to duplicate as well as the e-caller does. I mean, those are actual recordings of yeah. coyotes making those sounds extremely, extremely convincing. Uh, but... you. Being able to you know transition to the hand calls, I think you can get some extra emotion put into those hand calls. You, you yeah. can manipulate them, you customize can, a little bit, if you will. Yeah, I mean you're going to have it's going to be a sound that they probably haven't heard before, just because you can customize it. Uh, you can control the volume really, really well if you have multiple calls. You know they're going to all have a little bit of different sound. You can mix it up. You got open reads, open read, closed read. Yeah, I don't know. But I tell you, you know what, me, Jim. The more the more gear, the better. Oh so. yeah, that's how it always works. Um, you know, speaking of just the uh, the how good those e callers sound though when you're doing the house. I mean, so we we mix it up. We went to Nebraska for this hunt that we're talking about, but then we also came back and we decided to go out locally. And uh, you know, we talk about Wisconsin a lot here because that's where we are. And uh, in Wisconsin, I think is is a fantastic place. Um, but anyway, we decided to go out try and shoot. A Wisconsin dog or two, and uh, an interesting experience that was. We went out to a spot. It's actually uh, it's actually the outdoor range facility for Vortex Edge, but it's got plenty of room there and um, got dogs that hear a lot of gunshots. <laughs> yes. um, so we thought maybe that would come in handy too if Mark wasn't using something that was suppressed. Oh, but you were. I was. You were. Mark has an AR. Don't Jim. It it fell off the boat. It's at the bottom of the ocean. Oh right. Sorry. Mark doesn't have an AR. It he lost it in a boating accident. But wink, wink, but nudge, was nudge. Using he was using an week. AR with a suppressor on it. Um, yeah, borrowed borrowed a suppressor, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was super cool. I mean, the, really, this this coyote trip really number one. Uh, since I was able to like relate my AR to hunting, it like lit a fire to actually finish <laughs> it up and get it done. It is. You found those two roll pins. Nearly purpose built for hunting at this point. In fact, it's very, very similar to the AR that you have, Jim. Mm-hmm. We got the suppressor on. Like, this ki- this hunt, like, rekindled my passion for chasing cows. I really haven't done it a whole lot since I moved to Wisconsin. I, when I lived in Nebraska, we'd do it a lot more, and I think probably maybe that was some of the reasons why I wanted to go back there and hunt coyotes, because I just like hunting coyotes in that state. Um, we I, can, we I like hear the terrain. We're kind of bit by the dog bug right now. 
yeah, we might be putting up a, some more fur here next winter. That's the idea. But um, what a crazy experience, though, that one was. I mean, you just talk about all these different ways that a coyote can get you. And just, I mean, there was even some lessons learned, I'd say, in that takeaway. Well, just explain that to explain that briefly. We went out on a day that was a balming 15 degrees. And uh, after work, after work, so we had basically enough time for one set before it was just pitch black. And we decided in this particular case to be stick using mostly day optics to. Uh, you know, because we were still kind of on the offshoot of this pod venture here. And um, I forgot my stinking tripod, which I just raved about so much. But it was like, it's a local hunt. That's one thing about local hunts. Sometimes you're like real quick, like kick around after work, try and jet out, is you just take so much for granted. You kind of half-ass it a little bit. You do. You're like, you're like, oh, yeah, it's like 20 minutes away where we're going to go. So uh, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're on your way and you're like, I don't have a tripod. I didn't have my magazine with me, so I had to borrow a magazine. I mean, it was just like, I looked like an idiot, um, which I do a lot. But a week after our original coyote hunt, I've got a brand new fully set up sighted in <laughs> AR with a tripod. Yeah. But um man, those coyote vocalizations that we used out there, I remember and like I said, my segue here was how realistic those things sound. I heard the same coyote vocalizations we're using out there. You used a lone female. Mm-hmm. We set kind of set it up out in the middle of this open bowl. There's a trees that just wrap all the way around this bowl at the very end of the firing range there. And uh Almost immediately, another one fired up in response. And I actually remember thinking, when I heard that other dog fire up, a real one, mm-hmm. in response to your e-collar, I was like, no, someone else is out here with an e-collar, <laughs> and they're just messing with us. Because it sounded just like the e-collar. And I'm, I I couldn't believe how, I mean, it was really cool. I and mean, It was like so crisp, the sound that that dog was making. It was so like just unaltered by terrain or whatever, not echoey mm-hmm. or anything. It was just, boom, it was right there. I oh, was and like, it was close. Yeah, oh, and it was, it was close. close. And I was like, that sounds fake. And I by close, I bet that dog was probably about 1,000 yards away, too. You would think? be my guess. Yeah, it yeah. could be. What do you think it is to the all the way to the opposite side up on that hill, Jim? Should have arranged yeah. it. Could have arranged we it. Should, we should have, could have. Maybe 1,000. Yeah, 800 to 1,000. Yeah. But, um... Man, the way he started coming in, though, I mean, we waited a while. You started the distress calls once you, after you got him fired up a bit, then you started the distress call. So, yeah, and I think that's one thing, like, so it worked. Got it Got it to sound off, right? So now we know where it is. Yeah. And then got it to sound off again, got it to sound off again. And now I debated kind of transitioning to maybe a different sound that might, like, more... Might be a little bit more of a challenge, or or maybe add some mm. urgency to it to see about calling it in to, you know, investigate this this dog that's either you know either might be a potential mate or you know be on its turf or whatever. Ultimately, though, I went with what you talked about, Matt's technique of hey, let's just pretend we got this lone female over here. We know we've got another dog over here, and bam, now she's caught something. Yeah. Now she's got food. Uh, yeah. And so that's what we tried to do. And this time, stuck with just the e-collar. Um, Jim was talking a little bit about the setup before. So we had this, uh, we were tucked into a, a brushy tree line. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't get, you had to be on the outer edge of it. You, you just weren't going to be able to shoot through that brush. There was yeah. just, just too much brush. So we were on the edge, so we're tucked into it. So we were kind of nothing in our foreground, but open field. And then we're backed up, so we've got some some back cover. So we're concealed, but yeah, Iffy, con- concealed sure. but exposed. So yeah, um, 
what I didn't want to do is just because, like, when I use hand calls, you know, you're, you're moving your hands, you know, um, manipula manipulating the call. I, I, I wanted to have as least motion as possible. So we went straight with the e-caller and the coyote vocals and the distress downs off the e-caller. And, and again, a little electric bouncing rabbit thing that it oh, yeah. Jackrabbit Dan gave us on our way out. Y yeah, Dan was there finishing up a training. Apparently he keeps a, a, a rabbit decoy in his truck like any good person should do. So we borrowed that and hucked that out by the e-caller. The e and, you know, whether it helped or Just didn't help, I don't know. provide maybe a bit of distraction from us, you yep. know. Mm -hmm. Well, i tell you one thing, though. Again, it took longer for the dog to come at us than I expected. Mm -hmm. Similarly to Nebraska, I'd say that, you know, like when Cooper was like, oh, that thing's coming in on a line. Then it just took a while to finally see him. So I remember that dog was fired up. Then he started doing the distress calls. And I'm like, we're going to see him literally in two seconds. I'd be curious to know how much time actually passed. Cooper could probably end up telling us once he goes back and looks at the footage. But, I mean, it took Ten a minute minutes, for, him to, the, for him to show up. The second dog? Are we talking? This We're is, talking about the Wisconsin. Oh, the, yeah. yeah the Wisconsin uh, I would dog. say. I mean, I know you and Adrian had seen him well before Mark and I did. And I would say, I mean, I got the lens on him. I used probably four to 500 yards out. Yeah. And I think you guys could see just around the bend just a little bit further. And it, but. it just took him a while oh, to yeah. finally get out there. Yep. But when he did, he was... Was he on that tree line the whole way, though? Because, like, when I first... Like, whenever Dude, I was, first saw him was, like, basically the first point that I would have been able to see him as he, like, paralleled that tree line. There is a two-track that runs along the tree line. So if you can imagine, we're looking across this bowl, and then the bowl kind of comes around to a tree line that then goes basically on away from us. And uh, there's a two-track that goes along it. And he was out in the open on that two-track, wide open as could be. I mean, you know, close-ish to the tree line, if you will, but, I mean, as close as a tractor needs to be to not run into the trees. So, like, right. you could see him plain as day. And, uh, I mean, he was he came... around the corner though when you first saw him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was up and then eventually that two track kind of goes off and then there's just like a ton of trees and you're just way off in the tree. So that's where he popped out of. Mm. So anyways, this coyote comes running down and he, when he first popped out, I remember Adrian had his furies out and Adrian ranged him at 550 or something like that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, but he was on a line down that two track. And so that two, if he would have just followed that line, if he would basically his trajectory if he wouldn't have moved he would have eventually just run straight at adrian but he would have had to come down and turn just a bit into that big open bowl to get to where our our sound was coming from and he's running 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 and then he kind of stopped and then i remember he just he looked around for a little bit and he's kind of like wondering what was up and he stopped and i remember thinking like yeah he's still too far away this was this was about like actually where he stopped was about the 500 yard mark where he first popped out was a little bit further than that so um then he carried on, though. He started moving a little bit further, a little bit further. And then finally, at the very edge, it's like a 90-degree angle as he's getting right out into where it would open up into this big bowl. I remember that he stopped there, mm -hmm. and, he, and he looked around at all this open area in front of him, and he stopped for so long. And it's so dumb because all three of us, Mark, Adrian, myself, Cooper, so four, even though Cooper wasn't on a gun at the time, all of us could see him. I had my crosshairs on him. He was dead to rights. But the problem, lesson learned is that every single one of us with, I guess just with like, my AR is shooting quarter minute. Mark, your AR is shooting half minute. Adrian is like former SWAT sniper, one of the instructors at Edge. He's got a 308 that's shooting quarter minute. All of us would have had that dog dropped in its spot. But Confidence we, level was high. We wanted to see so badly him come into the call so then, you know, we could just make an even shorter shot. I guess it would just be, it would have been like really awesome to see unfold, right? Right. 
But well, it's kind of like you know, it's like yeah, you know, why shoot them at two fifty when we can shoot them at ten? You know, uh, it's so true. And I've I've watched you know coyotes come in similarly, like you know, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, and I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, this guy is committed, mm-hmm. and he was just showing really no, like he's been. I think they're always cautious, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. I guess they'll just go full tilt, like you know, suicide mission, but. Um, I was like, no, like, there's no reason to shoot this dog right now. Like, we're, he's gonna cross this little dip. He's gonna come up the other side. <sighs> I was chomping, and, dude. And, and I was, Cooper was telling me to shoot. Cooper, Cooper was, <laughs> and I, I remember sitting there like, well, I shot the one in Nebraska. I'm like, Mark's got to shoot this one. And then I remember like thinking, based on where you were, I thought, well, maybe Mark can't see him just because of his angle. And I was. Well, Adrian's oh, no. there. Adrian Adrian can almost certainly see him, and Adrian hasn't shot yet. So maybe I just shouldn't shoot. I had him in my crosshairs. It was about as steady as I could be, like off of a tree, gun wasn't moving, crosshairs were right there again, like right basically at neck level because he was facing right on us. And uh, I thought, well, I'll let it happen. We'll see what happens. And he started to run again. I remember he took about two bounds, and it was as though there was an invisible line at the very edge of the trees. The edge of the trees, it made like a 90-degree angle between the tree line he was on and the tree line that ended up pooching out and going around this big bull. It was as though his nose touched that invisible line. Oh, it it was as if he he hit an electric fence. Again, coyotes with their video game level physics. Just 90 degrees into the trees, and it was like, uh uh-oh. And I thought, well, maybe he's trying to get downwind. He's trying to do a, little, a big loop circle, and then maybe he'll still pop out over there. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I bet that's what Mark's thinking. Mark's totally got this under you know under control. He's he's hunting more coyotes than I have. And I bet that's what Adrian's thinking, too, because Adrian hunts coyotes a lot as well. But, you know, I will just watch this play out. He, he went into the trees, and I was still following him in the scope. And then he went into this opening in the trees, and I remember that he stopped there, and he looked back at the collar one more time, and then I saw his head turn completely away from the collar, and he was—he he had like very much body language, like he was yep. done. He was getting out of dodge, and that sure. was where I was like, "I'm done with this waiting stuff." And I ripped off a shot, and gosh darn it, if if it just would have been an inch lower, we at Cooper has on film. You saw it, right, Mark? Yeah grazed his back you can actually yeah. see like the the shock wave of his back kind of go up and down and then you know graze his back we caught a little bit of blood followed up for probably three four hundred yards oh, I mean, yeah. cut blood in the snow and he, but i mean <clears throat> when he started going yards up, away like, he was full bound still. straight uphill straight like, uphill yeah like he was not like i'm sure it stung he didn't oh, yeah. like it but he got like literally his phd that that afternoon and uh I'm I'm convinced he's he's still running. I like right to now. joke about it, but yes, I, I I think he's still running as well. Yeah, for sure. One I know everybody likes to say, "No, he's gonna be okay." Like I think he's gonna be okay. <laughs> one inch lower though, done, done, done for sure. I mean, just unbelievable. I think that was literally about three hundred yards though, and I just like I don't know. I think that I got well, a little you, excited if when you I had saw your tripod. If you had your tripod, I actually think if I had my tripod, it just would have been that much more steady. Mm-hmm. I, I was, was just, off of a tree, stupid tree. I could uh, I could shoot really well the way I had my tripod positioned really well straight away and a little bit to my to the right 
Uh, and I was trying to just, you know, make some final adjustments. And, of course, he's weaving in and out of the trees, and you're trying to, you know, get that sight picture. And I just wasn't – I mean, I was like – if I had gotten on him, like, the shooting needed to start there. But, yeah. you know – I can <clears> picture it now how you were set up. And in, so in hindsight, yeah, any one of us should have drilled him when he was, you know, sitting, you know, at 250. <laughs> if you put me in the same scenario again, but, like, a different coyote, I'd have a hard time not I know. trying to. It's like, uh, and I'm no master goose hunter either, but you know, it's like, oh man, like, why shoot them on this pass when you can shoot them with their little black feet dangling in your face? You know, like mm-hmm. that's part of the that's part of the fun of it. That's part of the challenge. It's really cool to you know have those up close encounters. Have a shot. We might have another coyote to you know try skinning out, but. I'll tell you what, one thing, and I'll mention this too as we kind of like get towards the end. Um, talk about tripods a little bit more too because I had a learning experience, a learning curve to get through with my tripod when we went out there with the radiant carbon because I was hucking that thing around and I'd never used one before. And um, I learned a lot. And luckily, we ended up having the encounter that we had with the coyote that I shot at the end of our two days. Because oh, sure, I think right. at the beginning, I just wasn't that good with the tripod yet. I hadn't had enough time behind it. Just and manipulating think, the legs oh, and yeah. angles. and I think a lot of times people, in the way even probably we've talked about tripods, the way other people talk about tripods, is that it's like this, you stick your gun on a tripod and instantly you're just, there's nothing you need to think about. You're a master, right? Like, mm. you're everything is just easy from there. But it actually is, it's a little bit tricky to figure out at first. One is you got to figure out, like, I mean, for me, it was even figuring out, okay, what way do I need to twist the thing in order to unlock it versus locking it? And obviously, that's just a lefty-loosey motion, but on the leveling tripod, the fastener or the, or the lever that's, that you're, you're unscrewing or you're screwing in to tighten and loosen is facing upward. So if you're thinking lefty-loosey, righty-tighty, but you're looking down at it, it's actually righty-loosey, lefty-tighty, you know? Okay, yeah. Even though, well, anyway... So I was dealing with that a little bit. I finally figured it out, like, okay, if I twist my wrist that way, it's locked. If I twist my wrist that way, it's unlocked. Um, but there was that aspect. And then there was also just figuring out how you're going to get in the legs and how you're going to have the head set up and where you want to be. And one thing that I had to learn pretty quick when we were getting set up on a few of our spots, and you get set up on a set, and as you're kind of trying to get the e-collar set up somewhere or whatever, I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, you know, I'm looking through certain things, seeing what my lanes are like, shooting mm-hmm. lanes. And um, one thing I learned was that, especially with the leveling head, and I know the ball head has a bit more articulation. You can move the ball head more before essentially running out of its available travel uh, for just to use terms that we use all the time in, in scopes with turrets. Um, you get a little bit more articulation with the ball head, but the leveling head's just one thing to loosen and, and tighten. It's a little bit uh, maybe more intuitive. It's a little bit more stable, a little bit more low center of gravity. But it, it, you can sort of run out of its travel, potentially. Right. Spe- mostly up and down. And when we were in that really breaky country, that was one thing you had to consider. So what I would do is I would get the tripod's legs set up in such a way that when I was looking at a spot where I felt coyotes were most likely to come out, the leveling head was at the absolute center of its travel. Mm-hmm. So that way, if something was a little bit lower or a little bit higher, I had the max amount that the leveling head could articulate to adjust lower or higher. Um, and then also you want to try and get yourself in a position where you can go left or right. It's really easy to have the tripod set up maybe to your right so you can look to the right really easily. But to look to the left, you have to like crane around it. That's what that's what I was, how I had set up yeah. on that that 
Wisconsin dog. And, yeah, I was having to, even though, like, it was pretty much straight, but it was a little bit to my left. So then, like, I was just, this is, just and then when it went further way. left, like, yeah. I just didn't have that optimal yeah. positioning. Yeah, it's you got to kind of practice a lot of it and, and figure out what way to set the legs and where your body is and how you're going to interact with the tripod and the gun. You got to practice it so that way you can set it up right. But eventually, I kind of had the idea down where, you know, I set the legs up almost like they're the, the tripod's own 20 MOA base, right? Like you mm-hmm. can cheat in this elevation or, or whatever to the, the tripod's head so that way you're not going to run out depending on where a coyote might pop out. And you can figure out where to set yourself inside the tripod or next to the tripod or maybe kneeling behind a tripod. I actually really started to like doing. Okay. Um, because if you could kneel behind it, then you weren't confined to having your legs intertwined in it. Right. So that way, if you had to move to the side, it was just a quick like knee shuffle instead of like ah, come uncrisscross applesauce and all that. God, it just seems like a way to get your legs to fall asleep, though. Oh, fine, did. <laughs> yeah, and I just like I'd be kneeling there for a long time, and I'm like, I can't feel my toes anymore, and I'd be like, well, that's good for now, but I know as soon as I move, I'm gonna get that pins and needles feeling. But yeah, that that kind of happens. If you can actually though, like if you can kneel behind the tripod, but instead of kneeling and like a lot of people will sit on their heels with their toes on the ground, right? If you can actually sort of um sort of come up on your knees and then brace your arm into the tripod leg and Just then actually lean into the gun, then you still a bit. get a little blood flow to your toes and don't fall asleep as quickly. As quickly. But then yeah. you got to have you know good cover to be behind. So right, it is it is like tripod having a tripod on you and with you isn't an automatic thing you know i wouldn't have anybody go out there and get it and think like oh it's this magical wand that if i have it with me it's just going to make everything better it's like no it's really awesome but you have to learn how to use it properly uh, or else it's going to actually be a hindrance yeah you kind of did a little tripod by fire i guess i did the (laughs) i did the the same same thing (laughs) yeah it may have cost me a coyote, Jim. I actually, like, I was like, had I been faster? And had we had more time. I mean, that one, you know, like, when we were in Nebraska, it wasn't our first set that a coyote came out. No. When we were here, it did. So, anyway, that's my uh, that's my PSA, if you will, on tripods. Um, Coop, we made it, though. We did. You didn't freeze. Totally. We made it. I mean, like, to death or anything. <laughs> it was cold, but it was a great trip. We, uh, <laughs> we all got snow blind. Very snow blind, sore eyeballs. Pretty much every night after we got back, but it's a great trip. Learned a bunch. Like I said, All like good. as we started out, like does it seem asinine to drive ten hours to go hunt coyotes in the freezing, you know, ice, whatever? Man, it was it was cold. Yeah, it does. Was it super fun? Yes. I mean, did we go out like literally an hour for an hour after work and encounter the same number of coyotes? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> it happens. Um, so yeah, what I think if we learned uh, if there's if there's one big takeaway from this, it's that you should definitely try it. Super That's fun. not always the takeaway. That's like such a cliche takeaway, yeah, right? I mean, you say, oh yeah, try it. Just go out and do it, right? But just jump in. I'd say don't be afraid to fail. Like I mean, not that we failed. We just kind of adapted on the fly, mm-hmm. and it ended up working out for us. So oh, yeah, I'd say I learned that. Coyote hunting, the way everyone makes it seem is that you basically just walk anywhere, strike up a collar, and they literally come in like like dementors or something. You know, just wah. It's not the case. You gotta have a little bit more patience, a little bit more finesse to it, a little bit more 
you know, coyotes aren't necessarily all just coming in like rabid beasts. Like they are very they can. crafty. They can. They and can. I, I mean, this is what I've heard. I've seen it happen in videos. And I haven't experienced it, but I just I do recall with these instances that we've had, it's been very shocking for me to see yep. how patient a coyote can be and how crafty they can be. I'd, I'd say more yeah. often than not. At least in my experience, the way they come in is how these these two came in. Same like here. stop, go, look, stop, go, look. Like cautious, using the terrain, trying to get downwind, you know, putting all their senses to work, and which is what makes it so fun. And you know, maybe uh, you know, like maybe we saved a few turkey poults, Jim. Maybe so. Maybe we saved a few deer fawns. We can only never hope. know. All right, everybody. Well, there you have it. That's the end of this particular pod venture. Um, let us know what you think as usual hit us up in the comments all that below or on Instagram and uh, tell us about your own coyote adventures we would love to hear about that um, stay tuned too because Cooper's putting in a lot of work on the old video so uh, head on over I think it's going to end up on the main Vortex Optics YouTube channel that's usually how it works but check it out uh, you'll be able to see all this stuff with your own eyes instead of you know just hearing the description so uh, check that out alright thanks everybody thanks Coop thanks, bye guys. everyone All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.